altar of incense. Exodus chapter 30, verse 1, And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof, round about, and the horns thereof. And thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And the two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put it before the veil, that is, by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is, over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is our sincere desire to walk with you in your word this evening. We confess and believe that the Bible is the word of God. We trust, Lord, that you have inspired it, that you have preserved it, that you have overseen the translation of it, and that we can have confidence in the words that we read tonight. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to gather the information that you've placed in this book about this altar of incense. May we put the pieces together and get a picture that helps us to understand what it prefigures in the Christian life. Father, I thank you for the wonderful ministry of getting to study your word and to share it with your people. I pray that folks would be encouraged and blessed by it. And I pray, Lord, that you would get greater glory because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue in our study of the tabernacle and its furniture in particular, we've got to jump ahead from chapter 25 to chapter 30 because there is one piece of sacred furniture in the tabernacle that is not mentioned in the design chapter of chapter 25. And so if you remember, uh, God first meets with Moses and he is giving him the pattern, the design of things. And he starts with the centerpiece. He starts with the Ark of the Covenant and then works his way out and uh, does the table of showbread and the candlestick. And, and, and then he'll go on and talk about the curtains and the tent and the courtyard and the brazen altar and the laver. And he, he will give Moses this pattern. And then uh, Moses will come down off the mountain, deal with some things in the camp, go back up up on the mountain for a little while and then later in the book uh, is the building of these things so you get a repetition uh, from chapter 25 to 29 and chapter 36 through 39 repeat each other but as we are studying this we find that this piece of furniture which is in the tabernacle is not described in chapter 25 with the other pieces of furniture. It is described separately in chapter 30. It is the golden altar of incense. 
I don't have an explanation for this, and neither do any of the commentators that I read. They had some speculations, but I didn't find any of them really to have any validity to them. And so we just trust the Lord that in his divine design that he structured it this way. And, and so uh, since we are working our way out from that tabernacle, I thought we'd go ahead and jump ahead and take a look at it. The altar of incense was made of uh, similar materials and design as the Ark of the Covenant and the Table of Showbread. It had an interior frame of acacia wood and then that wooden uh, frame was then overlaid with gold. Uh, this uh, piece of furniture was square. It was approximately 18 inches uh, front to back, 18 inches side to side, uh, about 36 inches tall. Uh, it uh, had a golden crown molding around the top of it similar to the table of showbread. And it also had four horns on each corner. And so that's a design that wasn't on anything else. And so there are these horn structures that come off of each corner of this altar of incense. And then similarly, it had rings on the side of it, like the Ark of the Covenant and like the Table of Showbread. And it also had accompanying poles, or as the, the Bible calls them, staves or sticks or rods. And those were to be inserted through the ring so that the Levites could transport these sacred pieces of furniture without actually touching them directly. And so that's all part of the design. Uh, the location of the altar. The, the altar of incense was located in front of the veil that separated the front room of the holy place from the back room. If you remember, as you came into the tabernacle, there was one entrance and it was east facing. And so you would come through a curtain door and walk into the front room. In the front room, you would have to your right the table of showbread, to your left the golden uh, candle stick and then directly in front of you would be the altar of incense behind the altar of incense would be a veil that went from wall to wall all the way across and then once in the year the high priest would go behind that separating veil into the back room where was a singular two-piece uh, furniture that had the ark of the covenant and on top of it had the golden mercy seat and so that uh, altar of incense was uh, up against the veil in front of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It's worthy to note that it, it is positioned directly in line with two of the most important pieces of furniture as it came to atonement. In the outer courts, there was a brazen altar. And so it's an altar, but it's made out of brass. The altar inside was made out of gold. The brazen altar was out in the courtyard, and this was where the sacrifices were made. People would bring their animals to the courtyard. The priest would sacrifice them, uh, drain the blood, place them on the burning altar, offer those sacrifices. So on the Day of Atonement, they would put the atonement sacrifice on there, and then directly in line with that would be the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And so on the Day of Atonement, they would take the blood of the sacrifice from the sin offering to the mercy seat. And directly in line with that is the altar of incense. Now, it's a small detail, but it is a significant one. Because as you think about the location of the furniture that God divinely designed, 
the candlestick and the table are on either side. You, you don't have to uh, approach them as you make this atonement. They were part of the daily ministration. But yet, this item is strategically placed in line with those other two pieces of atoning furniture. Uh, this indicates that uh, it had to do with the high priest's approach to God. As the sin offering was first made on the brazen altar and then the blood of the offering was applied to the mercy seat on the day of atonement. The altar of incense was for burning incense, right? It's pretty self-explanatory. But we're also told that they were to burn incense on it every day, morning and evening, perpetually. Did you notice in our text, verses 7 and 8? Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps or puts out the lamps. Uh, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And so, remember, the bread was refreshed once a week. They would make fresh bread, put it in there, and then on that day, that Sabbath day, they would consume the old bread, put the new bread, it stayed for a week. And then every day, the candlestick had to be lit in the evening, and it burned through the night, and then it was put out in the morning. But the altar of incense was to be uh, burnt day and night, morning and evening. Incense was to be lit on fire. The incense was a fragrant spice. It was a dried spice that was to be burned at a smolder. And when it was uh, ignited, it would release a odorful scented smoke into the tabernacle. And so as you think about that, there are different senses that are being engaged as the priest would be entering in. There was the touch as he uh, interacted with the, the different instruments. There was the taste that would have been there with the bread. There was the sight that would have been there with the light of the candle. And then there would be the sense of smell that was there as this incense was burning. And so all of these things were creating a certain experience as they entered into the presence of God. Uh, along with that, the incense was a proprietary blend of spices used only for the tabernacle. It was actually forbidden for anybody to use that same recipe or even a similar mixture for anyone anywhere else. As a matter of fact, if you look to the end of chapter 30, uh, God gives Moses the recipe, and he says in verse 34, The Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacti and onicha and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight, so equal parts, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. You see, 
This was to be set apart. It was God's. Everything about the tabernacle was God's. This is God's tent. Nobody else's tent is designed like God's tent. This is God's furniture. Nobody else had furniture like what was designed in the tabernacle. This is God's incense. Nobody else has this same thing. What God is doing is he is distinguishing between the holy and the unholy or the holy and the common. That these are sanctified and these are set apart. And it's a tremendous lesson for us as we think about worship, that there is something that, about worship that is to be holy. It is to be different. It's not to be like every other activity that we do in the world. And so God is laying that foundation for his people, reminding them that they are approaching unto a holy God. And they approach him differently than they approach anybody else. Furthermore, only the Aaronic priesthood was allowed to burn this incense to the Lord. So not only was it a proprietary blend that was only used in the tabernacle, there was only one line that was allowed to burn that incense. It was the Aaronic priesthood. Now we know out of 12 tribes, one of the tribes, the tribes of Levi, had the temple or tabernacle service. But not every Levite was a priest, right? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? There's a priest that goes down, then there's a Levite that goes down, and then there's a Samaritan that goes down. Just because you were a Levite doesn't mean that you were a priest. The priests were of the tribe of Levi, but they were the descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. For example, uh, look with me, if you would, at Numbers chapter 16. Uh, even though it is many chapters ahead in the Bible, it's not that far ahead in time. And what we have in Numbers chapter 16 is somewhat of a challenge. There were some Levites named Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they approached to Moses and Aaron and said, Ah, oh, you, you take too much upon you. You all are the ones that are only doing the office of the priest. And, and we think that we have a right to do this. And so uh, Moses consults with God and he tells them, okay, he, you send forth your young men with censers and they'll burn incense, 250 of them. And, uh, and then um, Aaron's sons will and we will see how God responds. And if you remember, it is in that story where Moses says, if these men die a natural death, then they are justified in their accusations but if they die in a very unnatural way then they are the ones who are into the wrong and that is when the ground opened up and swallowed up their tents and all of their families into the ground and then God tells Moses to gather up the 250 censers that were used for burning incense to hammer them flat and attach them to the brazen altar as a perpetual testimony of the Aaronic priesthood. Now watch uh, Numbers 16, verse 40, if you've got your Bible open to that text. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said unto him, by the hand of Moses. I, I, I really uh, hadn't thought of it before, uh, but in light of studying the altar of incense, 
everything took place around the context of burning incense to the Lord. And so here we have something that it, it, we would seem to think may be nominal. It's just, it's just lighting some of this incense and letting it smolder. And yet, God said very specifically, hey, there's only one type of incense that can be burnt. There's a specific time when it's supposed to be burnt. And there's only one group of people who can offer this incense. And if anybody else tries to do it, they will be judged for it. And so all of a sudden... We're beginning to understand that there is something special, something significant, something exclusive about this altar of incense. On another occasion, King Uzziah attempted to burn incense on the altar. And so if you want to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we're just trying to be good detectives and we're trying to figure out what this altar of incense is all about. And it's really not mentioned that many times in Scripture and a few of these cases really stand out. And so this is hundreds of years later. It's after David. It's after Solomon. It's after the temple is built. But all the same furniture is in the temple that was in the tabernacle. And King Uzziah, who was a pretty good king, he was king during Isaiah's day, remember? And he reigned for 52 years. He was, he was one of the better kings. But it says in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, but when, when he was strong, that's Uzziah, King Uzziah, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Oh, how did he transgress? Well, he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And Ahaziah the priest went in after him and with him four score priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. To go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth. Sticked. He's the king. Who do you think you are, peasants, challenging me? Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper until the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was over the king's house judging the people of the land. You say, what all does this mean? I don't know what all it means, but I know that there's something significant about the altar of incense. I know that it doesn't matter if you're a Levite or a king, you're not allowed to burn incense on the altar, only the seed of Aaron, only the Aaronic priesthood. The point is that only the priests could approach. It has to do with the approach to God. Only the priests could approach under the Old Testament system of law and sacrifice. The Levites can approach. The king can approach. Only the priest. Not only did the altar of incense have a daily function like the candlestick and the table of showbread, but it also had a special function. It has a dual purpose. It has special function on the annual day of atonement. The blood of the sacrifice was to be applied to the horns of the altar of incense 
on the way to the mercy seat. And so, if you would, journey back with me to the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 4, where God is giving instruction to the Levites and to the priests, and he is telling them how they are to perform the sacrifices in the tabernacle. And Leviticus chapter 4 makes reference to the altar of incense on the Day of Atonement. So remember on the Day of Atonement, the animals are brought, they're sacrificed at the uh, brazen altar. There is a bowl of blood that is carried into the tabernacle on the way to the mercy seat, where it's going to be put on the mercy seat. But on the way to the mercy seat, the priest stops at the altar of incense and he applies blood to the horns of the altar. Uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 4, And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, and they shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed, the high priest that is, shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle of it seven times before the Lord, before the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour all the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so... Here's something else that we're gathering about this altar of incense. Not only does it have a daily function where incense is burnt on it, but it is also included as part of the ceremony for the Day of Atonement. The blood is not just applied to the mercy seat. It's not just sprinkled on the veil of the tabernacle. It is applied to the horns of the altar of incense. Also, there's something else that happens on the altar of incense on the Day of Atonement. So if you're there in Leviticus, go to Leviticus chapter 16. And we find that on that Day of Atonement, not only was there blood smeared on the horns of the altar of incense, but that there was added incense on that day that would make the whole tabernacle smoky when the priest made his approach to the mercy seat. Leviticus 16 verse 11 says, And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals, fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. And so here we find that this altar of incense and this incense was used on that day of atonement that as he is restricted to entering that holy of holy place only once per year, only on the day of atonement, only after a sin sacrifice is made for himself and for his people, but also as he goes in, he is to fill that room with smoke. And again, all of this has to do with making an approach to God. You understand? Nobody could come into God's presence. 
As a matter of fact, when God descended on Mount Sinai just a few weeks before this, what was the rule? It was to make a fence and don't allow people to even touch the base of this mountain because God's presence there would strike them dead. You and I are living in the luxury of grace where we've got an open invitation to come into God's throne room, but they did not have that. They did not have the sacrifice of Christ. To come into the presence of God was a fearful thing. And so this approach to God was shrouded in this ceremony that included the altar of incense. On another note of interest, as we search the scripture in reference to the altar of incense, do you happen to know where the opening scene of the Gospel of Luke takes place? Luke chapter 1, you're going to want to see this. Remember, Luke is chapter 1 begins with Zechariah, who's going to be the father of John the Baptist. But when we first meet him, he doesn't have any children. His wife, Elizabeth, can't have children. His wife, Elizabeth, is cousins with Mary. And before Mary, it's announced to Mary that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, there is a forerunner named John the Baptist who comes in the spirit of Elijah. And it is announced to Zechariah that his wife is going to have a baby who will be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, making a way for the Messiah. But I never noticed before where the opening scene is. Luke 1, 5, there was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, and they had no children, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course according to the custom of the priest's office his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense Again, I don't know what all it is telling us, but I know that there's something significant about the altar of incense. This is the place where God decided that he was going to make the announcement to Zechariah that the forerunner of the Messiah was coming. There's a clue. What were the people doing while he was offering incense? Praying. What does this altar of incense have to do with the New Testament believer? I mean, here we are trying to wrap our heads around something that was under the law, under the old covenant, something that was, that was prefiguring what would come. And so how, how does it apply to us? Well, I can tell you this, the altar of incense is associated with prayer. Psalm 141 verse 2 says, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense. You might say that's weak connection, to which I would say I'm not finished. Go with me, if you would, to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. You see, because not only do we find this issue of incense in 
the second book of the Bible, we also find it in the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 opens up a scene in heaven. Oh, the Lamb is there. He's worthy to take the book. The redeemed are there. We are singing the songs of Zion. There's something else that's going on in verse 8. It says, When he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and look what else they have, golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Can I tell you that word that's translated odors there can also be translated incense? Every one of those 24 elders that is seated around the throne of God in heaven has censers, if you will, full of incense. And we are told that those are the prayers of the saved. You say, are you sure about that? Well, look again with me at Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. We get a little more specificity. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. What is the application? The application is that the atonement of Christ has guaranteed that our prayers reach God. You see, the significance of that altar was that as the incense went upward toward heaven, it was the idea that the prayers of the people were going up into the presence of God. The problem was the final sacrifice had not been made. And so there was a perpetual burning of incense every single day. And then there was an increased burning of incense on the Day of Atonement. And then the blood was applied to the altar of incense as that smoke went up. And so we are being reminded of the fact that when that final sacrifice came the one who would atone for us once and for all uh, that that made a way guaranteeing that our prayers would come into the presence of God Jesus said in John 16 23 and 24 in that day it was yet future when he's speaking to his disciples in that day you shall ask me nothing Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy might be full. Hebrews says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to say to you today, dear saint, saved one, have confidence when you pray. Your prayers 
are coming into the presence of God. They are ushered into his presence. They are like the, gold, like the, the sweet incense that was to be burnt and a sweet savor that came into his nostrils. The elders have censers burning that are with the prayers of the saints. The angels have incense that is burning with the prayers of the saints. And so keep praying and keep believing that God hears and answers your prayer. Jesus did say something so interesting there in John 16. He says, you, you ask and you'll receive. And then he says this, that your joy may be full. I really think that there is a ministry of prayer to the one who prays that is joy-giving. When you and I know that we are speaking to the God of the universe... And that we don't come reluctantly, we don't come as if we're begging admission because we're coming on our own merit and we know that our merit is not that good. We don't come pridefully, but we do come confidently knowing that we come not in our name, but in the name of Jesus. Not based upon our meritorious works, but based upon his meritorious works. Knowing that he is the perfect and final sacrifice that satisfied all the righteous requirements of God. And that he imputed that righteousness to you and I so that we can come to God in prayer without a doubt. Knowing that he hears every word that we pray and he answers our prayers. There's something joyful about that. You see, prayer should not be fearful, it should not be apprehensive, it should not be doubtful. It, it, it should not be tainted by the lies of the devil who says, you know what, you've been praying that for years and nothing's happened, God's not heard you, or, or you're not worthy to get that prayer answered. You know, maybe if you were a better Christian, your prayers would get answered. That's all lies of the devil. Jesus has made a way. He is our great high priest. And so let us offer that incense of prayer morning and night, knowing that it gets to the presence of God. Would you bow with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to pray. We know that if it was based on our own merit, we would never make it. We would always fall short. We'd always have a reason not to be heard. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We couldn't save ourselves, and we can't make ourselves acceptable to you. But we believe that Jesus did, that he did all the work of salvation, that he paid all the price for all our sin, and that he has made a way for us to come boldly into your presence so that as we pray today, we don't have fear or doubt that our voice doesn't reach beyond the ceiling of this room, but we know, Lord, like the incense traveled upward, that our prayers come into your presence, that they're ever burning as a sweet smell in your nostrils, a perpetual testimony, and that just as you heard and answered the prayers of Israel as they were praying for the Messiah to come, and you gave that answer from the right side of the altar of incense to Zechariah the priest, may we too have the confidence in knowing that you hear and you answer our prayers. And so we pray with joy today, in Jesus' name, amen.